You are listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 155. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Well, hey there, and welcome back, you amazing human, to another awesome episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Ange, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I'm an international award-winning business consultant and coach, keynote speaker, and podcaster who has helped thousands of amazing women business owners get all the pieces in place to have consistent four- and five-figure months, and then on to six- and seven-plus-figure years without burning out in the process. I'm really excited for today's podcast, but I'm equally a little bit nervous for this podcast today. The reasons why I'm so excited is that I get to learn from an amazing human human on a topic that, in my opinion, everyone should be talking about and embracing that topic, inclusion and diversity in business. I'm also bonus equally excited that this amazing human, Louise O'Reilly, who's coming on the podcast today, loves the color pink. And if you followed me for long enough, you know my obsession around pink. However, I'm a little bit nervous about this episode because I have so much to learn when it comes to inclusion and diversity, and this topic is is out of my comfort zone. But I also am nervous because I want to get this conversation right, because the information that you get from this podcast is going to help you and help others. And then through this podcast, we can start expanding our knowledge around this. So I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. I I, I know I always talk about done is better than perfect. And so often, yes, This is something I totally, I say this to the people I coach, I practice this myself, but on this particular conversation, I know I've been hesitant and reluctant about talking about this topic. I know I I could have been speaking about this topic earlier, but as I said, I, I don't personally feel that I've been equipped to speak on this topic because as I said, I so desperately want to ensure I get it right out of the respect for the Aboriginal Indigenous culture here in Australia. But today's the day, and I am beyond blessed to have come across Louise O'Reilly, who is an inclusion and diversity coach, who is going to be sharing with us today and being able to not only educate myself, but educate you around the topics about inclusion and diversity in our business. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what is the difference between inclusion and diversity. We're also going to talk about how does inclusion and diversity relate specifically to business? Why is inclusion and diversity important to our businesses? I also want to bring up the topic of white privilege. What does this mean and how is white privilege potentially stopping so many of us from truly having inclusion and diversity in our business? We're going to talk about the importance of acknowledgement of country and we're also going to share, uh, Louise is going to share three ways that each of us can be doing today to improve inclusion and diversity in our businesses. But before we get into this episode, this podcast is sponsored by by Australia's leading four-day, three-night exclusive women in business retreat that I run every single year. And might I note, there are literally only five five tickets left for this amazing event. This retreat is where we focus on women having the chance to connect, refocus, and learn and grow both in life and business. I'm hosting this event from November 4th through November 7th at the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. Again, it is an exclusive event with only five tickets remaining of the 50. Denise Duffield Thomas, a good friend of mine, is opening keynote. Cherie from Digital Picnic and so many other top speakers are going to be there every single day, helping you with masterminds, giving you individual help. If you'd like to secure one of the last five remaining tickets, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au and click on retreat. Now get your pins 
and your paper and your ears open to what is going to be an epic podcast. Welcome to the show, Louise. Thank you. Thank you so much. How exciting. I know. I'm super, super excited to have you on the show today to talk about this important and powerful topic about the three ways to improve inclusion and diversity in your business. But before we get started, I wanted to see if you'd be willing to do an acknowledgement of country. And after we do the acknowledgement to country, I'd love for you to just help us understand a little bit more of the importance of acknowledgement of country um, so that others have that uh, wonderful, juicy information. Absolutely. I certainly can. So um, I, Louise O'Reilly of the Wadawar Noongar people would like to acknowledge the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation as the traditional and ongoing custodians of the lands and waters on which I am on, where I play on, where I work on and where I raise my beautiful family on. This is a place that we create beautiful memories um, and I would like to pay respects to the elders for their leadership, for their support, their guidance, their love and for their role they play in the community. Uh, it is without these it is because of these elders and also because of these custodians that we are able to thrive in this place because they are the ones that care for the land uh, on a, both a physical sp- space and also on a spiritual space. And they make sure that everything works together properly in a beautiful harmony and ecosystem. So for that, I'm so grateful. Um, so that is a, an acknowledgement of country. It doesn't have to be that long or that specific. It, it is something that we customary do here in Australia and it is something that the Aboriginal people have done uh, forever to acknowledge the people who are the, the rightful custodians of that place. It is their birthright and it is their role to care for those places. So it is just a beautiful, respectful way to acknowledge them and their role in this place. Um, and it is becoming more and more common in Western society of Australia as well to be um, doing acknowledgement of country whenever there is some kind of formal gathering. So I would always do an acknowledgement of country on a podcast because I know people come to this place. It is a place of gathering. It's a place of listening. So I will do that always in those spaces. Um, and I would also like to pay my respects to the custodians and the elders of the lands on which you're on as well, uh, because every place around the planet has custodians and some form of elder, whether they're called that or not, is another story. But um, I wish to pay my respects for them too. And I just want to touch upon, so acknowledgement of country is utilized for formal gathering. So speaking events, I'm assuming like I run, as you know, you're part of my speech, one of my speakers for Australia's Leading Women in Business Retreat. Obviously there I would be able to do an acknowledgement of country. Yes. You know, there is also the welcome to country, right? Can yes. you explain what is the difference between acknowledgement of country and welcome to country? And are there only certain people who can do one or the other? Yes, absolutely. There is a big difference between the two. So acknowledgement of country can be done by anyone who wants to show respect to those custodians and those elders of that place, whereas a welcome to country can only be done by the by the elders of that particular area. Okay. So um, I, I can't give a welcome to country, even if I'm on my own country. I'm not. Um, okay. I, I can't do that yet. Uh, who knows when I can do that? But Welcome is basically, you listen to what actually says, welcome to country. So it's basically saying our homes in, when we look about Aboriginal culture, our homes are bigger than our houses and our yards. Our home is actually what we call our country. And um, I know a lot of people may be quite confused when I talk about Australia and talking about country because 
you think, well, Australia is one country. What are you talking about countries? Mm -hmm. But in Aboriginal culture, there are hundreds and hundreds of countries in Australia and they have their own borders, which are separated by nature and then there's natural borders. Mm-hmm. And we know where those borders are. Um, it's very similar to like, you know, you would associate with like Europe. There are different countries. There's one landmass, but there are many countries. It is very same here in Australia. Um, though those countries, Aboriginal countries, aren't um, widely acknowledged, but they have been there for millennia. And so how many countries approximately are there within Australian land then? Oh, my goodness. I couldn't even tell you hundreds. Yeah, no, I mean, because I think I've seen a map once, I'm pretty sure, and it was a breakdown of all the countries and they were they had different colors and things too on them. I'm pretty sure yes. it was. Um, yes. And they're literally, I just remember, I was, it was left me really amazed at how many individual ones there were. Like there were, I, I agree, there's, there was hundreds, right, on that particular yeah. map. But, you yeah, know, no, very interesting. I just want to make sure that, again, those people that are out there that are listening or running events, et cetera, make sure that they understand the difference between acknowledgement and welcome to country. So if they are going to partake in acknowledgement of country. Now, how do they know or where would they go to be able to do the acknowledgement of, of country correctly, right? Like even for me, it's like I'm running my event in November and I want to make sure that I do it correctly out of respect for you guys so where would we even start is there like a templated and I know that sounds a bit silly but is there like a stock (laughs) standard you know sentence structure that we could be utilizing or how do we know what country like I'll be at the Gold Coast so where would I find what country is it that I want to be able to acknowledge um there is standard templates that you can use Mm -hmm. but I always say don't do them don't do it. <laughs> Don't go to the template. Yeah. Um, you can come to me. Absolutely. I have got an education video educational series that I have done on um, Welcome to Country and Acknowledgement of Country, and they're, they're free to go and watch. So there's certainly that resource that you can do. Um, I also have a masterclass on it and on a, on specifically for businesses to write meaningful and impactful acknowledgements of country. Um, now, I will say I... I advise not to do the templated ones because it is such a show of respect. Mm-hmm. And if you're writing an acknowledgement and your energy and intention is not something that's specific to you and coming from you and your heart, I question whether it's worth doing. All so, right, so we'd get into the term tokenism, would we not? Yeah, absolutely. And and. It is a, it's a custom, it's a beautiful um, custom that we can do, but let's not make it a tick in the box. Yeah. Let's not just say, well, we've got to do an acknowledgement to country, okay, tick. Let's actually understand really what it means to do it and what you're saying mm-hmm. and understand how it actually is linked to you because acknowledgement of country and custodians are linked to every single person um, on any land because it is also their role to keep all the people on that land safe and thriving. So behind closed doors, you know, behind the scenes, Aboriginal people and a lot of First Nations people are doing things to make sure every person on the planet is safe, um, especially spiritually safe, but also thriving in those areas too. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what you can do if you want to uh, find out what countries you're on, you can go to that map. Um, uh, Let me think the acronym A-A-I-T-A-S, A-I-T-A-S, and then go map, Aboriginal map, Mm -hmm. and then I believe they have the map 
on that particular site. But also you can go and look at your local land and sea council Mm -hmm. and contact them and you can ask them those questions. Uh, A lot of time they will have the information on their website already. But also if you're interested in getting an elder in to do a welcome to country at your event, especially it's really good if you have people travelling from other places who don't normally live in that area, travelling to that place. It is spiritually quite important for them to get a welcome to country because it's almost like um, just imagine the country is like your house and you're inviting people in um, to a house that's not yours. The owner is there going, you can absolutely do this event here. Please welcome, come into this event. But if you're not allowing that owner of the house to welcome those people in, um, you're not sure whether they can be safe. And it's also just really respectful to say, look, we understand this is the place that you're taking care of. Mm-hmm. Um, so please would you do us the honour of welcoming all these people who are visiting this place for a while to come in. Um, and it's just a wonderful show of respect. Gosh, thank you. So much. I mean, already so much goodness. And I think we're less than five minutes, right, of recording. So thank you for that. And I already feel some really um, great uh, homework that I'll be getting from you because I'm going to be working with you one on one later on in the year. So I can already feel some creativity that I'll be able to sink <laughs> my teeth into uh, to make sure that when I do my acknowledgement of country at my event, uh, that again, I've taken some time to consider and also reflect. So I can already feel the homework from you coming on in a good way, in a, in a happy way, right? So yes, now, absolutely. So thank you for the acknowledgement of country. And then one of the things that I like to do whenever I bring a guest onto the podcast is I like to ask them a fun question also so that the audience gets to know you a little bit more and your personality and what you get to do. And my Uh-oh. fun question for you is um, you you have the coolest pink hair. Like I have envy whenever I see you on social media and I saw you today and I like my heart starts going pitter patter, right? Because I'm so excited because pink is my favorite color. So I just need Yay. to know, is pink your favorite color? And if so, what is your favorite shade of pink? And if pink isn't your favorite color, what is your favorite color? Oh my goodness, that is such a loaded question. It's like you're making me choose <laughs> favourites between babies or something. Um, yes, absolutely. Pink is my favourite colour. It has been my favourite colour since forever. Um, and I, I dyed my hair pink because, you know, I think I saw a, a doll or a Barbie or something like that and she had the most beautiful pink hair. And I thought, you know, one day I would love to have pink hair And I kind of didn't. I've only had pink hair for maybe the last two years. And I just thought, you know what? I'm an adult and I can have (laughs) pink hair. I can choose that for myself. And it's it's a wonderful show of my, um, you know, what's on the inside. I find it reflects out. Um, My shade of of pink. Oh, that's interesting. I really like um, the the really hot pinks, Mm -hmm. but not the ones that are like the light pink brightened up. I'm talking about the pinks that almost have like a purpley kind of tinge to it. Yep. So no, I, oh, you're, you're breathing my language, speaking my language, my friend. I was like, I'm looking at my pink water bottle, my pink phone. I'm in a pink T-shirt. <laughs> like, I love it, right? And and there is, there's like a vibrant pink that's like electric almost. And that's how I, mm-hmm. like how I um, perceive your hair. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. just like, you're like, oh my goodness. And like you said, the energy, it is very much an attraction. I was like, okay, A, she's pink and we're basically best friends now. But, yeah, pretty much. Um, but also that the fact that is you can feel it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's fun. And then your warmth, I mean, for those, obviously they can't see you 
you, but the, there's an <laughs> essence of warmth from you. So thank you for that. Now, business-wise, can you let the yes. audience know a little bit, where did you start and what are you up to now in business? And then we'll sink our teeth into the inclusion and diversity topic. Oh, this is always such an interesting um, question because, you know, you you kind of talk about yourself differently depending on the, the energy that you're feeling mm-hmm. uh, at the time. So for me, uh, this started as as long, as far back as I can possibly remember because there's lots of things that have happened throughout my lifetime that has contributed to me deciding to go along this particular path and um, express myself in this particular way and support people in this particular way. So I am an inclusion and diversity coach, mentor, uh, course creator, all the things. Um, And it actually springs from pain. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners, um, if they're entrepreneurs, can also resonate with this you felt some kind of level of pain and you found a way through it in somehow in some way and then you realized i can help other people in that same situation and i'm kind of doing that but there's a little bit of a twist to it so i i at a very early age was confronted with this concept of identity mm-hmm. uh, because i am fair skinned but i identify as aboriginal And I found in a lot of the communities I was in, uh, and usually it's the older people in those communities and was particularly in my school community, would say you can't be Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal at the same time. Uh, You know, how do you identify? And there's lots of questioning. So at a, you know, five or six-year-old, I was already asking myself, who am I? What is my Mm -hmm. identity? Which is very, very early for kids to be asking those kinds of questions, but mm-hmm. a lot of marginalised kids do do that when they don't look like the rest of society or their culture isn't mm-hmm. aligned to that same culture. Um, so those things kind of contributed to me asking lots of questions and really observing. And what I found was um, with with the way people speak about my Aboriginal community and their body language and just seeing that there was no presence of my culture anywhere, I really started to understand that um, Aboriginal people just weren't wanted in these spaces at all. And, you know, then I started to feel, you know, I'm bad, I'm wrong. Uh, I started questioning, like, Am I meant to be here? Where where do I belong? I mean, this is meant to be my country and I don't feel like I even belong in my own country. So where do I belong? Where do I fit in all of this? Mm-hmm. And what I really, what the biggest thing actually that stood out to me was the fact that I was invisible in those spaces as an Aboriginal person. And yet you have days like um, NAIDOC Day or NAIDOC Week or Reconciliation Week, Harmony Day, all those kinds of things But then on those days, the culture is celebrated and talked about. So what I concluded in my child mind was, okay, I'm completely invisible, but I'm not really. So you know I'm here. You're actually just ignoring me. You're actually just excluding me Mm -hmm. and only bringing me out and celebrating in those certain times because it's the feel-good thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. So... I went through a lot of struggle and a lot of pain and a lot of tears over my identity and there was a certain point that I tried to deny my Aboriginality because a lot of people said to me over and over, why would you say you're Aboriginal when when you can get away with not? Mm -hmm. And that in itself is so unbelievably offensive 
but again, in my team mind, I was like, you know what, it would be easier. It would be easier if I could just deny it and just just push it away from me. And I tried to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that was so unbelievably soul crushing to me. I felt like I was, there was nothing inside of me. I was just an empty shell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I contemplated my whole existence. Why am I even here? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I realised was it was actually harder for me to deny my own identity than it was for me to face the racism and the microaggressions that I received daily from, you know, the community but also within my own family. Mm-hmm. So that was all good. I kind of got through it. And then something amazing and beautiful happened. I fell pregnant with my first baby. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, my goodness, is my baby going to have to go through that same pain of their identity and mm. trying to fit into a world that evidently does not want them there? And so I went, I've got to do something about it. And I've got two babies now. And I made that decision to try and change the world in any possible way that I can so they don't have to go through that same pain, so they don't have to feel that discrimination, they don't ever have to question their own identity and question whether they're good enough, whether Mm -hmm. they're worthy or, you know, whether they deserve to be thriving or have fun or express themselves. So that's kind of why I'm here. I mean, very powerful. I mean, the fact that at the age of six you had to question where you belong, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, something, again, and this is why these conversations are so important. I think this is where white privilege comes in, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but, like, we we aren't uh, we don't hear these stories right or maybe we do and people don't choose to listen to them but six I mean I mean in fact for a six year old I mean you should be off playing right just yeah. cruising along with the pink Barbie doll or pink bike or pink whatever <laughs> right but you're having to sit there and having conversations with yourself that from a cognitive perspective from a child brain development perspective is probably so overpowering in many ways because you you don't have those skill sets yet right to really process everything so I can only imagine the essence of loneliness that also would have you may not even been able to use those even say like I feel lonely because six not not all six-year-olds can articulate that either right but you know in that there's like something like it almost like an emptiness almost right so that's why I mean I appreciate you sharing that because even just that in itself has given me a whole nother outlook and one of the things you talked about that I'm curious to know a little bit more about is you use the word microaggression and I've never heard that word as phrased I mean obviously I hear about aggression but I've never heard about microaggression can you give me a few examples about what microaggression could look like towards your culture on any given day yep sure so microaggressions are these things that quite often everyday society doesn't realise is actually quite racist and offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's based in unconscious bias and beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be, although it's so small, what's really interesting with it is that when you have microaggressions that are happening to you every single day, multiple times of the day, um, it builds up. It builds 100%. up and it really affects. Yeah, it builds up and it affects your mental health. And the thing with these little microaggressions is you actually can't escape it when you are part of um, a marginalised group, especially like Aboriginal people are here in Australia, Mm -hmm. where 
you know, you can go into public and people are talking to you and these microaggressions are happening. And then you look at advertisements um, or anything to do with Aboriginal people and there's microaggressions. And then you look at the news media and there's the microaggressions. It's on radio. It's in your living rooms, on your TVs. It's on your social media. So it's like you cannot escape from the racism Mm -hmm. unless you sit in a room on your own. Uh, So it it is a daily, almost hourly thing that Aboriginal people have to uh, deal with mm-hmm. um, and I say deal with in a you know it's not a not a great thing because <laughs> you shouldn't have to deal with stuff like that but what it is is basically um, okay I'll give you a few examples so you might walk up to an Aboriginal uh, woman and say how many children do you have and there is an immediate assumption that they have children whereas mm. if you walk up to a, a person how on earth do you know children until you actually have a conversation with them so immediately asking how many children do you have is interesting another Mm -hmm. thing could be asking um so do you work is another microaggression Mm -hmm. um it's not necessarily a question you would walk up to someone who looks like you Mm -hmm. and ask them that particular question Mm -hmm. um one very popular one which is in um microaggression that happens to African-American people is people want to touch their hair. That's a microaggression to ask to touch people's hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, something like um, does, your, does your skin burn from the sun is another microaggression. It's like, of course it burns. It's skin. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, hello, we're still, <laughs> do you know what I mean? We're still skin people, yes. There's so many of these seemingly um innocent conversation starters Mm -hmm. which when you are marginalized you can read between the lines and understand there is a prejudice or an unconscious bias or belief about that particular person Mm -hmm. and it's very present in almost the first words that are spoken um from a stranger to a stranger so it's very interesting i'm just sitting here going like because I'm, I'm reflecting on myself, I'm like, have I ever, like, you know, these microaggressions, what have I potentially done to contribute? And I'm like, but I wouldn't, I, I mean, never, of the examples you use, I'm like, I can never imagine just going up to someone, not asking them their name and just being like, how many children do you have? Like, what, am yeah. I, I'd be like, what is going through people's minds, right? Like, yeah, I just like, hello, my name is, right? Like, <laughs> how are you? How's your day been? You know, have you been in Brisbane long? You know, what are your plans for the mm-hmm. weekend? But, but like you said, though, it's happening daily. Yeah. And it was something I was going to ask you because there's a book that I talk often about James Clear, amazing book called Atomic Habits. And he talks about the 1% rule, but kind of from a different angle. But if you take 1% action every single day on particular things, obviously it's going to accumulate over time and have a positive impact for the growth of your business. Mm-hmm. But on your essence, it's actually the opposite is what you're saying is these microaggressions are compacting um, and accumulating for um, Indigenous people of Australia, right, or anywhere mm-hmm. in the world, right? And what's yeah. happening is it's actually then impacting mental health. I'm assuming then that also could yes. lead to other things, not just mental health, but people might be like, you know what, I've had enough of this. Suicide, mm-hmm. I'm a, yep. again, I, and correct me, I don't want to assume here, but I'm just based on what you're saying. And I'm an ex-mental health clinician where I used to, you know, diagnose anyone with depression, anxiety, et cetera. So I get it. So it's like, to then have those micro um aggressions compact it's interesting because as an ex-mental health clinician I would have potentially looked at um an indigenous person coming in in a way of understanding what they have to go through on any given day because these microaggressions does that make sense so it's like understanding that it's there and how it compacts but in a negative compact is uh yes I think people need to be very mindful of that 
Yeah, and then it almost um, then when there are things like uh, protests or certain topics come up in terms of Aboriginal rights or Aboriginal needs, um, a lot of the community are often like, "Whoa, where did this come from? You know, why are you only talking about this now?" and um, not understanding that these things have been protested for as long as colonisation has existed Mm. here in Australia, but it's just we're being heard a little bit more. But also sometimes um, it gets to a point where you just had, I cannot take this anymore, Mm -hmm. and you explode. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, whoa, you're just, you know, an angry, angry, you know, black person which is often used which is don't use that don't don't do that Mm -hmm. um and then it's painted with a whole nother trait Mm -hmm. and it's like well if you are constantly being told you're not worthy you're no not okay you're not smart you um you don't deserve good jobs you don't deserve good money you don't deserve good homes you don't deserve anything Mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're like enough's enough yeah. I'm angry. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Something, please listen to me. Something needs to change. And in Australia, it's it's very um, hard to get any kind of change for Aboriginal rights, which mm-hmm. essentially are human rights. It, Aboriginal people are not asking for anything um, that, you know, a normal human wouldn't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because we only take up around 3% of the population, yet... of the people get to vote on things that specifically impact Aboriginal communities, Mm -hmm. yet not understanding the culture or the actual impacts they're going to have. It's very hard to get anything changed uh, and to have things that don't impact us. And it's really strange because until you understand the culture, you can't understand how it's impacting and there is no kind of awareness or education rollout to allow the understanding of culture unless you get consultants in or you pay for that kind of thing so Mm. whereas in my opinion it should just like be part of the overall like like I just go like why would you like these people should be part of teams getting paid good money to come in and be able to educate accordingly because that's where change to like would start from right especially in our schools and the younger kids because as you know it's very hard to change adults we're set in people are set in their ways people just have opinions that whatever right unless they're willing to change and willing to hear but again to me it's like all schools should be bringing in multiple people not like I'm talking like teams of people to be able to start having some root change so that these kids are being informed and guided accordingly about Aboriginal culture and like all these things like if you know this will be a conversation with my children at the dinner table tonight is around this microaggression right it's these are conversations that they shouldn't have to wait till they're 42 to hear right it's yeah yeah. so like I said I'm, I'm I'm mindful of your time, but like and the, everything we're talking about aren't questions I had actually prepared for. They're just rolling off, which is great. But I'm mindful of your time because I'm like, oh my goodness, no, I, no. I, be, I this podcast go. go for 84 hours, right? And so <laughs> I'm mindful. So thank you again for allowing those conversations, yeah, just to happen because all of this is there's no one thing that's more important than the other. It's a, again an accumulation, and it's all important. So thank you. Now, inclusion and diversity. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, are frequently mistaken for the same, same, but they're not same, same, uh, how I've perceived it. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit more so that we're all on the same page, what the difference between inclusion and diversity is. 
Absolutely. So I say that I'm an inclusion and diversity coach um, and mentor in that particular order for a very important reason. Uh, here in Australia and a lot of places around the world, they have diversity and inclusion. And mm-hmm. um, there is a genuine inclusion, form of inclusion, and there is, a, excuse me, a genuine form of diversity and there is a forced version of diversity. Okay. So inclusion comes first um, and this is this applies in business as well. What we need to do is start really understanding the spaces that we're holding and how we're showing up. And inclusion means you're holding some kind of space which is mindful of people who identify differently to you, who have different cultures, who have different religions, who have different genders, and being very mindful of that. And in your creation of your particular space, it is becoming, it's, you make it more accessible uh, for them to come into that space. It's also safe for them to come into that space. So they're not being judged and they won't have to go through certain obstacles or challenges to get the same opportunities that the most privileged people in our society get. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's about being really mindful of how can I. Uh, facilitate this space or this business or host this business in a way that makes it more available and equal for people who are marginalised to be in this space too. Mm -hmm. So it's about creating that safe, inclusive space. And then what happens is because you have created a space which is ready for marginalised people or people mm-hmm. who identify differently to you to come into it, it's easy for them to come through. It's not like this is a difficult process mm-hmm. and there are options for them to come in and access your business. They will naturally come because you don't have to stand there going, hey, I'm a business and I'm inclusive because mm-hmm. often businesses that do that really aren't inclusive. If you have to yell it out, mm-hmm. it's in the actions you take. It's in the processes you take. It's in the way you show up. And marginalised people can see it. You don't need to tell them that you're inclusive. They can see it because Mm -hmm. they can see it's easier for them to find you. It's easier for them to work with you and it's easier for them to access you, you know, physically or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where you get that genuine diversity coming into those spaces. It's when they're naturally choosing to come and be in your space too. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time that we have almost like these quotas in businesses and countries, uh, companies that, you know, say, you know, we want to have diversity. So make sure there is this percentage of representation of women and this percentage of Aboriginal people and this percentage of, you know, disability or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they go and seek out to find people to fit in that space mm-hmm. and they will pull them into those spaces Yet that space is not safe for them to be in because Mm. they are not really seen, they are Mm. not heard, they are not valued. So they can be sitting there at the table with you but their opinions, their ideas and their presence doesn't actually make a difference and Mm -hmm. isn't contributing to the outcomes of the visions, of the ideas, of the processes. It's just being there to be there Mm -hmm. and that's what I call forced forced uh, diversity mm-hmm. which makes complete sense right is there like you, I think you use the word quota is that there's a quota that businesses yeah. have to quote unquote have right in order to to again tick a box that they have an inclusive 
and diverse working area or corporate area or whatever it is. But like you said, is the difference is, is that the majority of those individuals that then are in those positions, it's not safe for them and that they still don't really have an opinion or are able to verbalize or uh, give different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And that's and a lot of the time it's because businesses are trying to find culture fits mm-hmm. and not value fits. And mm-hmm. this is why it's very important to distinguish between those two because when you're looking for people to fit a culture fit, it basically means we're looking for people who are the same as us, mm-hmm. who think the same, who feel the same, who have the same customs and same all the sameness. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get people who are then identified differently or belong to different community groups come into that space, it is very uh, overwhelming, it is uh, intimidating and lots of those microaggressions happen, lots of racism, lots of discrimination happens in those spaces and you don't want to be setting up your business to have those kind of energies happening. Whereas if you look at value-based, so we're looking at value fits, So then what you're doing is saying, okay, these are my three priority values in my business. So mine might be like inclusion and leadership uh, and, I don't know, uh, love or something like that. Mm -hmm. If those are your values, then you can start looking for people who it's their priority values too. Mm -hmm. And when you invite those people in, it doesn't matter how you identify because you all believe in the same value. You have the same vision and mm-hmm. that's where you can all then contribute to a beautiful vision of what you want to be mm-hmm. creating in the world. It creates community. You are connected on a different level. Mm-hmm. You you then create your own community based around those values. Mm-hmm. So, and it creates all kinds of things like um, staff loyalty so there's not much turnover. You create community in your own business. And that's what I was going to talk about because I've heard other people talk, well, what are the benefits of having an inclusive and a diverse community? But what I want to talk about is that there's benefits, but it's not just going to benefit the business, correct? It's going to benefit the ripple effect to community, to overall country, to global change, would it not to like, I just, for me, as I, when I was looking at questions to, to bring to the podcast, I was like, well, hold on a minute. It can't just mean that the business benefits. Surely there's like a knock-on effect because it, it would mean that those people who are, are getting hired, say the CEO of a company, right? More than likely their family is also coming from a place of values, inclusivity, correct? And then yeah. that means that they, like, I just feel it's a knock-on effect. Is that me or am I missing the picture that it's not just the business that benefits, but it's a bigger picture? It is a massively bigger picture Mm -hmm. it's it is beneficial in almost every way you can possibly think of it Mm -hmm. um yes it uh it increases your bottom line at the end of the day Mm -hmm. i'll be i'll be really clear there is a reason why inclusion and diversity is massive business in big business Mm -hmm. because there is money in it Mm -hmm. um because what you start to do is you start opening up your business to actually include the entirety of your niche Mm -hmm. now I'm I I say you know uh inclusion and people go how can I include everyone how can I do business like that and that's not at all what I'm saying it's very important that we help the people that we're here to help and that doesn't mean everyone but what I mean is when we create okay this is our avatar this is our niche uh what we often do is we include the most privileged people and we set up our businesses in a way that speak to those people. Mm -hmm. But unknowingly and unconsciously, 
there are people who are quite marginalised who don't fit into that process or system that you have created, which is often the standard way of doing business. Mm-hmm. They don't fit into that. So you are missing out on your soulmate clients who belong in marginalised groups. Mm-hmm. And what it also does is if people don't like it, <laughs> so there's people who go, oh, you know, I don't really think we should be changing things for, for minorities or marginalised groups. You start weeding those people from your business. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't want them. I don't because want to like, bu- I'm like, bye-bye, Felicia. Yeah. I'm out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, seriously, <laughs> like, no way. It's just because I would also expect, I mean, again, those individuals that are doing that are going to bring down the overall morale for everyone, yeah. right? It's it's like, again, a knock-on effect, but in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then what you do is what I call transitioning from a two-dimensional business to a three-dimensional business. Mm-hmm. So to, we could get away with being a two-dimensional business um, before, which was this is who I am and this is what I sell. And, you know, things would sell and it'd be all hunky-dory. Mm-hmm. But... We are now becoming more and more conscious consumers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to know where we're spending our money is going to places that are ethical or places that uh, align with the vision or creation of whatever world we want to be creating. Mm -hmm. And so people are willing to spend more money with those businesses who have a vision of how they're actually impacting the world in a different way or where they source stuff or how they're doing business and how inclusive they're being. And so, again, you get more loyalty in your customers. You have more loyalty with your staff. You create community with your staff. You create community with your customers. You have so many more advocates because it's more than just the money. It's more than just the product or service. It's about what are we actually creating together? So you create this beautiful vision of what you're all working towards. Um, and this helps, you know, mentally, uh, physically, every other way you could possibly think of it. Inclusion and diversity is just such a beautiful thing. And also what you'll find is that your body loves it. Mm-hmm. When you really feel that you are making a difference, you will be inclusive your body will tell you, I love doing this. And I know this conversation is really quite um, in the early stages. Mm-hmm. We Never before in, you know, the history of humanity have we been at a point where we were talking about being more inclusive. It, it, it's always the historically the conversation has been about how can we profit, how can we do things, how can we make other people do stuff for us um, and basically use and abuse them to get and profit and thrive. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do that because we now understand we are in an abundant world and we can all thrive. And when we all thrive, we actually all do better. Mm -hmm. Um, But also when you are looking at diversity in business, I don't know if you've ever really looked at some big businesses and gone, whoa, they're just so amazing. They're so innovative. They how are they doing all the stuff they're doing? They're doing stuff so different and they're just amazing. Mm. Often you'll find it's because they have so much diversity in their companies and they value all the input from all the different backgrounds, all the different Mm. ideas. Because when you have diversity, uh, you not only just bring you and your experiences, you also bring all of your knowledge of your culture and the way of doing things and the way life is to the table. Mm -hmm. 
So there is so much more space for coming up with ideas that have never even been dreamt up before. Mm-hmm. And that is just where the magic happens. Uh, it's not about, you know, I often joke a little bit about, you know, when you have uh, a, a business and everyone is the same and identifies the same and you sit at a conference going, let's come up with ideas and go, oh, I came up with this idea. And the other person goes, you're so clever. I came up with the idea too. So you're just bouncing the same stuff around. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that with the cultures we have and our upbringing and our heritage, we are living in a limited capacity of what our mind understands the world to be mm-hmm. and we have a limited understanding of different ideas and the way things work. But when you're adding diversity, it, it is absolutely magnified and you have access to so much more. So it's so rich and so beautiful. No, I mean, really great insight to that, especially around just the, I mean, who wants to be sitting around at your business event or business table and everyone's just agreeing agreeing like it's like no like let's spice things up a little bit here like it's okay to have a different opinion or a different outlook and like you said Mm -hmm. the richness that anyone brings right Mm -hmm. um regardless of their culture is that they all have different stories they all have different experiences and those experiences is what can really create magic within a business Mm -hmm. corporation workplace uh because it's not same same like there's nothing I mean that's so boring right so no so now when we look at I guess same same let's talk about the white privilege right yes and Mm -hmm. again this could be a whole nother podcast episode I get that but I do think it's important because how much of white privilege, first of all, I want to talk about what does it mean, but how is white privilege potentially stopping so many of us, right, from truly having inclusion and diversity in our businesses and life collectively? Yeah, that is such a great question. So basically what white privilege is, it is a privilege you are born with uh, based on the colour of your skin. Mm-hmm. So Essentially, people with white skin are the most privileged people on the planet as it Mm -hmm. stands today. Mm -hmm. And with having white skin, it allows uh, a lot more opportunity. Uh, It it grants a lot more access Mm -hmm. and there is a lot. It's it's basically this idolised human, right? Mm-hmm. White people are an idolised, ideal human. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only have to look at, like, images of uh, Jesus or if they create images of God and, and things like that to know that it's based on um, a white male. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what this does is in lots of different situations, there is a greater chance just because of the colour of the skin that that person will be the victor in those particular spaces. Mm-hmm. So they're more likely to get the job. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to receive awards. They're more likely to be asked to speak. They're more likely when they do speak, others will stop and listen. Even if someone who has a different colour skin says the same idea, it mm-hmm. will not be received in the same way mm-hmm. uh, because there is this almost this putting on a pedestal type effect mm-hmm. where it's, well, that person is has more power and is um, obviously we need to listen to them and uh, that's basically what it does. Now, what white privilege does, now I, I know your, your viewers can't see me but I have white skin. So I too, even though I identify as Aboriginal, I also benefit from white privilege. 
but what can happen is when you don't have that understanding of marginalisation and being oppressed systematically um, on a daily basis, you don't often aren't presented with what white privilege actually means to you Mm -hmm. Uh, so you can become blind to it and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with being blind to it but when you are then presented with this concept that you do have white privilege it's a really good idea just to have a look around and go okay well how is how is this happening in my life how am I actually uh, benefiting from the color of my skin Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I do really want to say this this, this is so new. This, this really, really is. And I don't want anyone to ever feel guilt or shame because the work that I do is not based in that, uh, that guilt or shame space or mm-hmm. anger or feelings of um, injustice. What I want your viewers to know is now we have some more information, now we have some more knowledge. Let's grab that and go, okay, what is the vision for what I want in my world. So my vision is I want a more inclusive world where people feel free and safe to be themselves regardless of how they identify. Mm-hmm. And that's the world I want to create. So when you know what you want to be creating and the type of world you want, then you can start taking steps to do that. So if you are you wanting to join my team and go, yes, I want inclusion and I don't want um, people to feel discriminated against or be unsafe because of the way I identify, then you can start looking at these different things. And it opens up, we have this paradigm of what we believe the world to be. So it's really good to understand that uh, everyone doesn't experience the world and life in the same way. Mm-hmm. So when you can understand that and then you can go and seek out the voices of marginalised people and their stories, you can really sit with them, you can listen to them and then you can have compassion for what they are experiencing and then look at your own life and the way you're doing business and go, okay, how can I alleviate that particular challenge? What can I do? How can I actually use the privilege that I have to change this in some way? How can I bring awareness to it? What can I change? And that's where that whole thing comes into it. But it's until you are aware that there is more than what you're experiencing, um, people just do the day-to-day business. And I mean, that for me was really important how you said that, again, we're born with the privilege, right? And how I really also like how you shone the light on again just all those things that again are really subtle to me but like you guys probably not subtle do like again picture of god white male right picture of this white person right and how it's like even like when people go speaking it's like the white people are more likely to be listened like all of those things contribute again to this this essence of white privilege yeah But, but do you also think i mean how much of the white privilege though is impacting people positively or negatively from again doing something about it within their communities. Like for me, it's like, yes, I'm born with, you know, white skin. I've got, you know, white privilege by definition. And and I know for me, it's always about like, explore like, how can I do this right, right? Like I know I need to do something, but how do I do it right without doing something wrong? And, you know, an example that I'll give is we have, I run obviously the Women in Business Retreat and we release 10 scholarships every um, event and we're about to start releasing those shortly where we give partial scholarships to 10 different individuals. And this is for women in business who ultimately, uh, my whole vision and mission of, of my business is to make sure that women 
have to access to tools, community, and resources to grow their business, right? And I was thinking about, well, how can I also incorporate the Indigenous community to ensure that they're able to have access? Because whenever we put these out every year, it's people of white skin, right, who are applying. However, I was on Instagram, there's a big push more from what I'm finding the American community are going, if you're white, you shouldn't be able to put up scholarships for people of minority backgrounds or marginalized backgrounds. And I'm like, okay. And is it because we're not doing it correctly? Or is it, again, that tokenistic type of thing? Is it part of like white privilege? Like, what is it? Because I generally want to make a difference to women, any woman being able to access these tools, community and resources. But what happened with Black Lives Matter and for me to start really checking my own self was I started to look around my community. And yes, my online business manager is Indigenous from New Zealand. I work with people from India, China, a variety of different backgrounds, right? But my majority of people that I was hanging out with are white, right? And so for me, I was like, well, hold on a minute. How can I start to um, expand, right, and, and start to learn more of other people because I want to, not because of a tick box, um, and I was having this conversation with a client of mine, Edka, we were actually, and she, she said, actually, and you should talk about this on your podcast one day. I'm happy to come on. And she is from India. And she says that, and I know we're kind of jumping a little bit, and I'll, I'll come over, but she is from India. And she says her, her skin is obviously brown. But she said, and it really shits me when people call me that I'm a person of color. Mm-hmm. She's like, why can I not just be a person? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we were talking about that, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about that. But in regards to like, the scholarship side of thing, like I genuinely want to be able to help any woman. And if I can help the Indigenous community, yes, but I don't want them to feel like I'm doing it as a tick box, right? But also that I'm being told from what I'm seeing over in America, again, I know we're different countries going, actually, you shouldn't be doing this because it's not your space to be doing this. But I'm like, okay, but then how can I incorporate this like for me, indigenous culture into people being able to at least know that these scholarships are available if they choose to, right? And looking at the bigger picture. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, you can't see me, but I have just scribbled a whole bunch of stuff down on my notepad to (laughs) circle back and and address a lot of these particular topics. So let's first start with the scholarships. Mm -hmm. So I am in agreement. I don't think scholarships should be offered by Uh, white people for uh, people of colour or Aboriginal people Mm -hmm. because it's not based on their ethnicity to Mm -hmm. go to that particular event and why they can't attend that particular event. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time it's because they can't afford to go to the event. Mm -hmm. So it's not an issue of ethnicity. It is an Mm -hmm. issue of finances. And, yes, um, the underprivileged can be impacted, their finances are impacted by their ethnicity, their colour of their skin. That certainly is a flow-on effect from that. But with scholarships in particular, if you focus on if you are not able to afford this, please apply for a scholarship and you will be considered, then you can go through that particular process. And now what I would be saying and, um, you know, I say this in the most absolutely loving, gentle way I possibly can, is that if you are putting scholarships out and only white people are applying, it is because your space isn't inclusive yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and fair enough, like I said, it's one of the things that I've been, you know, been looking at over the year going, well, hold on a second, why is it that this cohort of people are applying? Because I, yeah. I never had 
apply if you're indigenous. There's nothing like that. It's basically like if you're a woman in business and yeah. find you're not in a financial space where you could be able to afford an event like this, please mm-hmm. apply because I want to be able to ensure that women have access yeah. to the tools, community and resources. So it wasn't, do you know what I mean, specifically mm-hmm. for one, it was just for women who might not be able to afford it. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, and that's though when my team and I looked last year, we haven't even released them for this year. We're going, well, hold on. Where, wh- what are we doing wrong in regards to our space? Right? Like, yeah. Like, yes, my team, right? I, I do feel like I, I'm at, at a very good start of inclusivity and diversity, right? But why is my broader community not, you know? And it's something that, again, I've, I've reflected a lot. And obviously, that's why I'm paying to work with you in the upcoming months, one-to-one, because I do want any woman to be able to access this particular event and not just a tick box. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I would support you in doing it the same way you have been doing. And what you'll notice is when you, after you start working a little bit with me and we start tweaking some of the things in your business, you will notice that there will be a diversity of people coming through bit by bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may be a little bit slow to begin with because could you imagine going into a space where it is dominated with people who identify in the same way and belong to the same culture and then you're one single person who enters that big massive room Mm -hmm. it's very intimidating and Mm. it's the same in online spaces as well this it's not removed from that so often they will enter and then you will look they'll look for a little while like oh is this even safe for me to Mm. be seen is it safe for me to talk um so it takes time it takes time and uh you know be mindful. It's it's taken a long time to get to this point where um, there is that feeling of um, a lot of unworthiness in the community, but there's also that feeling of um, those biases that happen that those marginalised people aren't deserving enough. They're not good enough. They're not up to this particular standard of person in however they identify. Uh, So it's taken a little while to get there. So you're not going to have like one conversation and then everything's going to change or you're not going to have um, change one process and then it's all going to happen. This is about relationship building and trust building and it takes time to do that because you're not going to say oh look I've I have realized I'm not as inclusive and I've changed this particular thing and then everyone goes oh my gosh we love you yes we want to come <laughs> but I mean we, that we, goes back to that tokenistic stuff though does it not we're like I wouldn't be going and announcing anything because I don't feel like there's a need to be like oh hey we're now did it like for example like I said my online business I mean obviously we're talking about it but like I don't go around going my um my online business manager is indigenous right like I just it's Nahuya right like she's yeah. just Nahuya right that brings <laughs> exactly. this wealth and knowledge and culture from New Zealand and do you know what I mean and she tells yes. us you know like so I don't I, I don't go and scream at you know my graphic designers from India right mm-hmm. I, I, she's just Selma she isn't Selma from India she's just Selma right so mm-hmm. even those things that you're talking about is I don't think I'm not like it would just be that I bring it in right like it's not Mm -hmm. like all my scholarships are now better because of this it's it's still available to these people right so Mm -hmm. you know now listen I'm mindful like I said I could talk to you for hours and I know you've got another live you have to do and you've got cross country and so I'm mindful of this and I will be picking your brain when again I'm working with you later on so I will kind of do me and try and go okay what can we do to really focus in on this last bit. And my thing is that was obviously we have a juicy conversation and it's just a beginning for mm-hmm. some, but for those businesses out there like, oh fuck, 
this is like, I need to step up here and I need to check my white privilege and I need to be looking at how I can start to be more inclusive and, and diverse within my own business. What are three things that businesses can start doing right now uh, because they want to do it, not because they have to do it? Okay, three things. All right. Before I do get on that, I do want to introduce another concept sure. to you, which I think is really important. Um, and it's called code switching. Code switching? It, yes, code switching. And it is something that marginalised people can do where we essentially have two identities mm-hmm. where when we are with our families and in our own culture, we are a certain identity. But when we are in a space where it's dominated by the dominant culture, we can code switch into behaving in a way that aligns with that culture. Okay. And so a lot of the time you might have the diversity of people in your spaces but um, we're very good at code switching, so we can change the way we use our language, we can change the way we um, use our body language, we can change our whole demeanour based on culture because they are quite different. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of the resilience of marginalised people mm-hmm. is that that amazing ability to code switch and have completely separate identities and know when to change them, determine depending on what social situation we're in. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to bring that. No, super important, right? Because, I mean, again, and I'll want to unpack this a bit more when we work together because I want to make sure that, you know, my own team members don't feel the need to have to code switch, right, when yeah. they're on a meeting with us, for example, or yeah. et cetera. And, you know, how what can I do to know if they are code switching and what can I do to not allow that to happen too right so like I said we could have a separate podcast about code switching we could have a separate (laughs) podcast about probably 800 different topics right which again are also I think you well I don't think I know remember the day you said something about how can I do this and I was like well can't you take your blog posts and turn them into podcasts or something like I I really if I'm pushing you here but you know uh, I I would be saying even though I'm not your coach I'd be saying like this is a podcast waiting to happen right it's uh, there's so many conversations now so code switching, yep, again, thank you for addressing that because it's important that, again, people can switch, right, based on environment mm-hmm. and who they're with. And for, yeah. so to to wrap up, though, those three ways that businesses can start really looking at inclusion and diversity, mm-hmm. uh, again, because they want to, not because yes. they feel like they have to, what can yes. they start doing? Yes, absolutely, because they want to, not because they have to, because none of us are saviours. We're all here just working towards that world and that vision of what we want to create. So the number one thing you can do is start doing the inner work on yourself and really understanding all the parts that make up you and your own identity, Um, really looking at your own heritage and culture and being super aware on how you're actually showing up. The next one is... There's this beautiful scale of intersectionality, uh, and I will I will share the link uh, with that particular scale. But what it is is on the top of this scale, it shows uh, people who are privileged and people who are below this certain level are not as privileged. And there are things like um, colorism on there, sexism, genderism, uh, Europe. European centrism I think that's how it's said there's all these different things on there and it's really great to actually place yourself on each of these spectrums to see where you fit 
Because what I have found with a lot of my clients is they see marginalized people fitting into this spectrum, but then they actually see on the outside of it, they don't actually see themselves fitting into it. So when you can sit put yourself into those spectrums, you can understand where you are privileged, you can understand where you have power, where you have influence. And when you understand that, then you can make the most impactful uh, actions in the places where you have the most privilege and most power. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about just going um, and talking about all the things. It's really important to understand us as a unique individual and a unique business and look at, okay, because of these things that make up us, where can we have the most impact? Mm-hmm. And yep. then number three is uh, looking at the culture of your business. And a lot of people really don't understand what I mean by that. They say, you know, quite often they say, you know, I'm so jealous. You have such a beautiful culture. I don't have culture. And that's just not true at all. Every person on the planet has culture. I mean, you eat certain food, you talk a certain language, you celebrate in different ways, you sit at a table to eat, you live in different styles of homes, we have different types of social gatherings so um, and different ceremonies. So we all have culture, but if we start looking at our business and going, what's the culture of this business? Is this business um, one of those uh, businesses that if you don't fit into the processes that we have, Mm-hmm. We can't help you. Or is it a culture that, okay, um, I have done everything via uh, images in my businesses, but now I realise there are people with vision impairments, so how am I going to support them mm-hmm. or, um, providing different options? So really looking at the different ways your business is actually showing up and questioning, can I make this more accessible to people who are marginalised? Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way you get to that point is by seeking those voices out and listening to those stories and listening to the challenges that they are having and then taking what they have, sitting with it, and then looking at, okay, what can I actually change to make that more accessible for them, to make it better and less challenging or less of an um, obstacle for them to access me and my services so I can do the thing I'm meant to do, which is help them. Mm-hmm. And I know this conversation came up in one of my paid communities where uh, it was around podcasts, for example, and they said, Ange, we noticed that you don't transcribe the podcasts mm-hmm. at the moment. And I said, yes. And um, they and we were talking about those who are visually impaired, no, those who are hearing impaired, sorry, yes. I hearing impaired. And my thing there is, is I can't change everything at once right? Yes. It doesn't mean yes. that I'm blinded by it. It doesn't mean that I'm not aware of it. It doesn't mean that we haven't talked about it in team meetings. Mm-hmm. But like I said to the crew is like, I can only, there's only so much I can do to make change. That's an accumulation of change. And I've got to pick yes. right where I focus on something mm-hmm. and do it well, is my opinion versus feeling I get because if not, I feel like it for me personally, then I'm just doing a tokenistic thing across the board, right? Like it's like I'm ticking all these boxes, but I'm not actually leveraging or making the change and impact that I want. So mm-hmm. would it be fair to say like acknowledge, like reflect on the three things that you just talked about and choose one thing that you're passionate about and know that you can really start to make an impact versus trying to do everything at once? Like what are your thoughts about that? I would suggest do those things in order that I gave them. Mm-hmm. Yep, gotcha. Yep, so perfect. do the number one and then move on to the number two and then move on to the number three. Okay. Um, and I think you bring up an amazing point. Don't do all the things mm-hmm. because that is so overwhelming. 
um, if you have that intention, beautiful intention there, and you are taking little actions every day to get closer to that goal, that is better than what happened the day before. Mm-hmm. You were closer to that goal than before. Uh, and also you mentioned doing it, not wanting to do it wrong. I want to be really honest here. You're probably going to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. I do yep. things wrong. And yep. that is absolutely okay because it's better to have the intention and want to do it and get it wrong than just turning away from it and putting it in the tar- too hard basket. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, this really is a new um a new, I guess, field. Mm-hmm. We don't actually have a template. We're all trailblazers in this space now mm-hmm. because what is the inclusion? We're still discovering it and it's mm-hmm. such an evolving space. So something that seems okay now, mm-hmm. in you know a couple of months' time, they might be like, no, that's actually not appropriate anymore. So it's a continuously evolving space and this is why, uh, you know, it's great to have a commitment to continuously learning about inclusion and diversity Um, but you know it's okay to get things wrong and what I'd say to my clients is share what you're learning and share what you're going through Mm -hmm. and be okay with saying you know what that thing I said last week I've I've had additional learnings now and I Mm -hmm. now know that's not appropriate or that wasn't okay this is what I should have said and this is what I meant Um, and learn the process of apologizing Mm-hmm. Um, because you are probably going to cause offence in some way. Uh, marginalised people, Aboriginal people, we are individual people and we have our own ideas and thoughts and, you know, concepts of the way we think mm-hmm. should, things should go or solutions should be. We're not going to agree. So really understanding that we're, we belong in a community but we are individuals as well. So you're probably going to upset someone no matter what you do. And if you can really be okay with that, um, mm-hmm. but when that offence or upset is brought forward to you, mm-hmm. if you can really uh, sit with it and be okay with the apologising process and not just to apologise, I mean really sit with it and go, yeah, I am very regretful uh, that I have caused that offence yep. and then seeking out how can I do this better. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think we all can always do things better, right? But, again, yeah. apologising is something that doesn't come easy, right? No. And, it, and But it's something that I think is a skill that people need to be able to learn, to learn to listen, to learn to apologise, to forgive, and to continue to try harder. And for those businesses who are out there going, I, I'm probably going to need a little bit more help than just the one-hour podcast with you and, and Louise. <laughs> How can people connect with you to start looking at their own individual stuff, their own individual businesses to ensure that inclusion and diversity are starting to make change and happen within their own space and family life? What is that? Where can they find you? They can find me on louiseoreilly.com.au. Fantastic. And again, you've got courses. You've got amazing content that's out there. You also share a lot of great stuff over on Instagram too. And my last question before we wrap up is what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out in business? Oh, what do I wish I knew? I think I wish I would have known that it didn't require so many hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be impactful and to make change and create create amazing transformations in people doesn't require you to be chained to your computer and in your in your office. Uh, that a lot of the work and a lot of the most amazing ideas and um 
processes and everything that happens in your business quite often happens when you're just having fun playing with your kids mm-hmm. or you're having a shower and it's so relaxing and you know you're self-indulging and loving yourself yeah it so much of business happens when you're not in business mm-hmm. and if you really increase the quality of your life and the joy in your life your business is going to thrive Dude, I love it. Joy, fun. A lot mm-hmm. of people are forgetting about fun, right? It's just work, yeah. work, work. Phyllis Emily, Louise, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. And I really hope that others have been able to uh, have a few aha moments and uh, realities about what they may be doing and never even thought they were doing. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My team and I will also be putting together the show notes for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au. Thanks again, Louise. I appreciate it. And for the rest of you, have a fabulous day, no matter where you are in the world. And I look forward to you joining me again again next week for another awesome episode of the business and life conversations podcast thanks again louise bye thank you thanks for listening to the business and life conversations podcast with angela henderson www.angelahenderson.com.au